0: Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read.
1: Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza media podcast about all things in print. I'm your host, Stuart in L.A., back with a fresh reading of Suzanne Collins' second Hunger Games novel, Catching Fire, the further adventures of Katniss Everdeen. That's right, she made it. That 16-year-old Huntress managed to outlast all the tributes from the other 11 districts and emerged the arena victor. Maybe that's not a big surprise. I mean, it was told in first person. (laughs) It would have been hard to continue the story with her dead. Would a trilogy about post-apocalyptic America really be popular with young female readers if in the first book the heroine swallowed poison berries and died right there on the battlefield? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not going to say they couldn't make that work. Uh, Martyrs are a cornerstone of popular revolutions, and this is going to be a story about a revolution, not about a game. You got Joan of Arc, Nathan Hale. Let's not forget about Jesus. I, I think that a downbeat ending could have worked, but I'm glad. I'm glad to see Katniss not only survives, but she managed to make the Capitol look weak in the process. There's only supposed to be one winner of A Hunger Games each year, but Katniss, her fake romance with fellow tribute Peeta Mellark ended up being much more popular than anyone anticipated, and the teenagers from District 12 really had the capital over a barrel once they were the last ones alive in the arena. I mean, in theory, one was supposed to kill the other, they would be the one winner, But Katniss and Peeta, they were willing to kill themselves simultaneously, kind of like the star-crossed lovers Romeo and Juliet that they had kind of been built up as. You know, they would rather kill themselves and give no winner than make a hard choice about who between them should die. And that really put President Coriolanus Snow in a difficult position. He knew that there would be a big public outcry if there was no winner at all. If the whole thing had just looked like a big mass execution of children, it would not be good for him. So he lets both kids live. He kills the game maker instead, which is not to say that Katniss gets her life back. The girl is now 17 and a celebrity, and she lives in a shiny new mansion in District 12. But she is still controlled by the Capitol and public opinion just as much as when she was playing The Hunger Games. So Catching Fire begins with Katniss and President Snow facing off with each other behind closed doors. He comes to her and tells her he wants Katniss and Peeta to go on an apology tour. Go convince the citizens in the other districts that that suicide attempt that you had on television was just about you being madly in love, that one could not live with the thought of the other being dead, and not that it was protest- against the games itself, which is what it was. Katniss thought that they would relent. She didn't think she was killing herself when she picked poison berries. She put them in her mouth hoping she wouldn't have to chew. She knew the game maker would cave, and he did, because, you know, the romance angle, it was just too popular. I think Snow is right to approach Katniss exclusively about this. He does not talk with pita bread. Katniss earned the nickname The Girl on Fire back when she was playing The Hunger Games, and part of that is because her stylist made her wear novelty dresses that burst into flames, but also I think it's true that she could burn down Panem right to the ground if she said inflammatory things. People listen to her. She has wide-ranging appeal through all the districts. She's not just a celebrity in District 12. She's a celebrity everywhere, and she could potentially unite all of the districts under anything that she said. And that scares Snow. There have been recent uprising throughout Panem. Basically, I think that it's always going on, but it's more unified. There seems to be a revolution brewing, and Snow needs to quell this. He needs to distract the people again, lull them into submission, and... There isn't another Hunger Games for several months. That's usually how they get, keep people distracted, throw up the Hunger Games every year and, and nobody pays attention to the real problems. So he's got to come up with something in the meantime. His solution is kind of like a tabloid event, you know, a royal wedding, a fairy tale romance. He wants Katniss and fellow Victor, Peeta, to go around and and wave and smile at people like they're on a parade float. He wants them to get married, he have children, live like Kardashians with their fake lives on 24-hour display. Anything to keep people from looking at the real problems and seeing Katniss as a spokeswoman for those problems. And... If Katniss is not going to agree to this plan, Snow is going to kill people she really does love. She may not love Peeta, but she does love her sister Primrose, her mother, and her fellow hunting pal Gail Hawthorne, who is looking more and more like a genuine boyfriend to Katniss these days, although I still don't think that this girl has a mindset to think about boys and romance. She just, again, she's getting used to not having to go out and hunt for her next meal. She The celebrity thing is weird to her, but she's still of the mindset that she can't think about life beyond survival. So under duress, Katniss hops on a train with PETA and they do their best to live up to Snow's expectations as a happy, blissful couple. But this so-called victory tour through Panem really only continues the civil unrest. It continues to flare up. And what used to be very submissive, isolated districts look very angry and and riled to action. And that's something that wasn't so clear to me in that first Hunger Games book. Because we never went anywhere else other than District 12 and to the Capitol and to the arena, we, we didn't have a chance to see... All of Panem. But now that we're getting this train tour, we make long stops at District 11, District 8. Catching Fire makes it obvious that Panem's people are really segregated. And I don't mean that necessarily racially, although that's true as well. District 12 is considered Appalachian country, all white populace. District 11 is almost exclusively dark-skinned people. But I don't just mean that they're racially segregated. I mean, they literally don't know each other. And I think that the Capitol encourages that. They, They encourage the districts to actively dislike one another. They're not allowed to travel and visit each other. There's no moving somewhere else. If you decide you want to be a fisherman instead of a logger, that's not an option for you. There are electric fences around every district. There's no mingling. And I think the games really promote the idea that you root for your people, your culture, your district, Everyone else is an enemy. And Katniss has changed that dynamic. She really stirred the pot because when she played the Hunger Games, she made friends with a girl from a different district. She made friends with Rue, the tribute girl from District 11. And that was the one that she saw a lot of her sister in, Primrose and Rue. You know, they're both adorable, defenseless little children. And I think everyone watching the games throughout Panem, all the districts, They could tell that this wasn't an act, that that girl from District 12 really did like that girl from District 11. And their alliance wasn't calculation. It wasn't about teaming up to survive or to kill somebody. They were legitimately friends. Katniss was genuinely upset when Rue was killed. And so when Katniss and PETA appear in District 11, they're moved too. They see the parents of Rue. They offer their winnings or at least a portion of them for the rest of their lives to them. It gets a bigger emotional response. It feels like awake. You know, people are crying. They're, they're giving a three fingered salute. They're letting these District 12 kids know they have solidarity. And this is dangerous. This is the opposite of what Snow wants. She is reminding people that districts can collaborate. And so he sends in peacekeepers and this whole scene turns bloody. They break out guns. People are executed. It goes bad. It it continues to foster a revolution. Katniss is not calming people. She is not making them pay attention to her outfits and her romance and all of that. She's making them question their values. And again, the danger is if Katniss brings the districts together, then they could potentially overthrow the capital. As long as there are 12 distinct places that don't like each other, then Snow can continue to you know snow everybody i think that's what his name means he you know he's he's gotten by by fooling people and and letting them believe these lies about themselves but katniss could be the unifier and these uprisings they're not just limited to rue's district there's a bigger one even in district 8 everywhere katniss goes basically she sees evidence of a mockingjay rebellion underway now, I haven't discussed the mocking jay yet, but it is a very important symbol that runs throughout the entire trilogy. Mocking jays, of course, are not real. Uh, there are mocking birds and there are blue jays. A mocking jay is something else. It all started when the capital cooked up something in a lab called a Jabberjay. One thing you'll notice about the rich people in the capital is that they're very big on genetic modification and manipulation. They're really into plastic surgery and augmenting their own bodies, and they augment everything in the animal kingdom. It's it's the process is called mutations. Kind of like m- mutations, but, you know, mut gives it sort of a derogatory sound. You know, they've changed wasps into tracker jackers, and now they have even more deadly stings to them. And the point is, the president wanted a mutation that could mimic human speech like a mockingbird, but was smarter than a mockingbird, that it could memorize long conversations. They wanted these birds to be spies, and the idea was that you take these male modified birds called jabberjays out to the various districts to learn all the secrets going on. If someone is plotting to overthrow the government, the jabberjay is going to land on a branch nearby, listen to every word, fly back to the capital and repeat that plan. And this worked for a little while. Some rebels were caught. They, they were heard. The, the birds accurately sounded like them and ratted them out. But eventually the districts got smart and they started feeding these mutations false information. And so, once the capital realized they could no longer believe what the jabberjays were telling them, uh, they were retired and released from the lab into the wild. So all of a sudden, you have these male mutations that were designed as weapons mating with female mockingbird songbirds, and out of this union come these docile new hybrids called mockingjays. It's basically a creature the capital never intended to exist. But they ended up making, through their paranoia, through their need to oppress people, they created this, this new life. And I think Suzanne Collins is asking us to think of Katniss in a similar way. On one hand, she is a weapon, just like the Jabberjay. She is skilled with a bow and arrow, and that's because the capital starved District 12 and she had no other option but to go out and shoot her own food and feed herself. But on the other hand, she is sweet and maternal. She is a songbird. She literally has a lovely singing voice, and she uses it to comfort her sister Prim. There's this soft side and this warrior side to her that's a deadly combination for Snow who Collins is always describing again and again as being like a poisonous snake. So you have this image of a bird and snake. First time we ever see a reference to a Mockingjay, it's in the opening pages of the first Hunger Games. The mayor's daughter of District 12 is giving Katniss a gold pin of a Mockingjay for good luck. And Katniss... Gives it to her sister Primrose to comfort her. She's scared to go to the reaping. And then after she's picked and Katniss has to volunteer, Prim gives it back to her. She wears it in the games as a reminder of her sister back home. The person she's got to stay alive for to go back and save. And, and her stylist, Katniss, was assigned fashion people while she was in training. They took that idea and ran with it. They made dresses that gave Katniss the appearance of a flaming mocking jay for the TV cameras. And so, you know, once she was in the arena, she continued to use the mocking jay that, that Katniss and Rue actually communicated over long distances by saying things to mocking jays, singing to them, and, and the, those songs would carry through, the birds would pass it along through the trees. People everywhere know that the Mockingjay is synonymous with Katniss, the popular Hunger Games winner. So when a rebel group starts using a Mockingjay as a symbol of revolution, it might as well be Katniss herself telling people, disobey the capital. In truth, Katniss doesn't want to lead a revolution. She wants to live freely in the woods without all these expectations that people keep thrusting on her. And I think that's a theme of the Hunger Games trilogy is that that all these people want this young girl to be a certain way, to represent a certain thing. She's got to find out who she really is. She has to reject a lot and and find her own path to who she wants to be. But She's not there yet. In this second book, she's running away. And things keep escalating. Snow keeps having to send more armed guards to the districts to try and quell this rebellion. And it gets so bad that at one point, Gale is found sneaking out for hunting, you know, something that Katniss does all the time. She didn't go with him. She didn't get caught with him. But he is drawn to the town square and and whipped within an inch of his life. And that's when Katniss, I think finally decides, okay, I, I can't just keep thinking of the forest as my escape. She says, quote, Life in District 12 isn't really so different from life in the arena. At some point, you have to stop running and turn around and face whatever wants you dead. A good lesson, a valuable thing. My problem with catching fire is that it takes Katniss too long to do this. Uh This is a story about her shirking responsibility, and so, you know, Snow eventually is basically going to demand that Katniss go back into a Hunger Games. He contrives new rules for the next games that make it like an all-star show. All the tributes are going to be prior winners. And while that feels a little contrived, I'm I'm happy they're doing The Hunger Games again. I think that that was a really exciting place where Katniss thrived, where she finally got to show what she could do in the wild for a public audience. A Hunger Games book should have a Hunger Games in it. But by page 145 in that first book, we were there. Kids were rushing towards a stockpile of weapons and slaughtering each other. We It didn't waste time. We don't even know that Katniss is going to play a Hunger Games until page 200 of Catching Fire. And after that, it takes about 60 more pages for the game to begin, which leaves only 100 pages to the game. It's less than half of what the first book devoted to Hunger Games. And that's disappointing. It just is. And I also think it's disappointing that we have the same pairing as before, Katniss and PETA. It didn't have to be that way. One of the more entertaining supporting characters in this saga is Haymitch Abernathy. He is the only other living winner from District 12. And so when Snow announces that old tributes are going to be the ones picked from jars, we know Katniss is going. I mean, her name is the only one in the bowl for girl winners in District 12. But it's a coin toss between pita bread and Haymitch. And I think changing it up might have made the games more exciting this time. I mean, in Catching Fire, we learn a lot more about Hamish. Katniss is going to watch the old tapes to see how he won when he was a kid and played. You know, right now, current day, he's a drunk old man. And he oftentimes seems like a doddering fool. But back then, he was a crafty 14-year-old boy. And he actually defeated his enemies... By turning the force field that surrounds the arena into a weapon. He himself wasn't particularly skilled with weapons, but he was cunning. And he figured out you could boomerang things off the force field like an axe... And that actually got him out of a really dangerous predicament. So imagine that we got this smart guy, this mentor, the guy that told Katniss how to win and coached her to victory last time. And now they got to go in the arena together and eventually fight one another. I mean, all you can do is imagine what that would be like, because that's not what happens here. Hamish's name is picked. And then PETA automatically volunteers to take his place. And that option, as tantalizing as it is for me, does not play out. And since we're talking about mistakes, I think Collins makes another one by having Katniss resign to die. You know, she was so determined to win for her sister last time. And now she's determined to make PETA the winner this time. She has had a change of heart. She believes that PETA is a better person than herself. And, you know, I also think she doesn't want to live. When she realized that winning the games doesn't get her life back and her privacy back, that she's got to spend the rest of her life under the thumb of the Capitol, I think that, yeah, she gets a little suicidal. It's, oh, I don't want to live. Let's, <laughs> let's make PETA live. He, he can go. And he, do- and she doesn't have to think so much about her sister. I mean, she did win riches. They do now live in a mansion. Food will be provided for her. Uh, You know, she still may be picked in a future Hunger Games, but that's nothing that Katniss can do about that. She wouldn't be able to volunteer. This would be the last Hunger Games she could ever win. But, you know, it's no fun reading a whole book where your heroine is so defeated. You know, I I don't mind a heroine who doubts herself a bit, who runs from her destiny, but Katniss just isn't as thrilling this time as a main character because she is so resigned to take PETA, who cares about me? And, you know, I don't care about PETA. I've I've never cared that much about PETA. I don't think he can lead the revolution of Panem, so I think that this is all false modesty. Katniss has got to be the one to win because Katniss is going to be the one ...to change this whole bloody system. And so, you know, if she's got to shoot an arrow through PETA to do that, so be it. I I won't judge her too harshly. Collins also makes a clumsy reveal far too early in Catching Fire... ...that the new game maker is part of the Mockingjay Rebellion. I feel like I can spoil that surprise and the ending here because the author does it herself on page 82 of a 390-page book. I mean, she really lets the cat out of the bag when Katniss is dancing with this game maker, Plutarch, at some capital function, and he flashes her his watch, and the face of that watch has this secret Mockingjay symbol that briefly appears, She only she can see it, and he sneaks away and almost, you know, does everything but wink and, you know, nudge, nudge. To me, it was obvious. She wasn't entirely sure what that means. But then later, she's going to go in this arena and finds it works like a clock. That like, like the face of the clock that she saw, danger only appears in hourly increments in, you know, one area of this circular clock face arena. So he really told her a lot by flashing that watch and it shouldn't have been in there. It, it told too much. It's, it's a greater surprise to know that there are rebels in the arena with Katniss working to stop the game. That, that's going to happen. The Mocking Jays are going to break in and stop the games before the tributes have finished killing each other off. Now, despite all of these complaints I brought to the fore about basically I think I'm saying this isn't as good as it was last time. It's a lesser experience. I still want to stress this is an entertaining story, and while the first one worked nearly perfectly as a page-turner, this one is more fitful. It is still filled with smart observational detail. It's got funny social satire that really I connect with. I may not like Katniss as much this time, but I did find many of the supporting characters to be impressive. I mentioned Haymitch. There are also these other celebrity tributes. There are these eccentric nerds from the technology district, number three. District four has a really interesting mismatch pair. On one hand, you have this young, hunky fisherman guy that, you know, all the girls swoon for, and then he's paired with this Frail old lady who basically volunteered so that this guy's girlfriend didn't have to play again. So there's a lot of good dramatic tension there of a of a young man that, that owes this old woman who just feebly can't keep up with the physical demands of the game. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention really one of the best characters in Hunger Games, Uh Katniss's stylist. It's really her only true friend that she makes in the capital. Everyone else is kind of gross and pretentious and she just has to play along. But she really likes Senna. And despite the fact that his job is basically to objectify this girl with all these crazy fashions so that these superficial, bloodthirsty people like her, you know, I I really think Senna is a grounding, positive force in Katniss's life. He is the closest thing to a father figure she's going to get in these stories, even more than Haymitch, who is you know, a comedic father figure, or Snow, which is the evil father figure. I think Senna is the one that really nurtures her, sees her for who she is, even before she does, and uses his artistry, which is fashion, and, and really brings... It out for her, that he has a really great moment where he designs a dress that that really helps her decide to side with the Mockingjay revolution. A lot of people are going to try to shape Katniss to be a part of it, but I think Sinna's contribution is the most formative, and I have to praise him here because this is where his story ends. He is going to be taken out of Catching Fire, and it's a heartbreaker when it happens. I won't spoil what happens but it is one of the best moments of the entire trilogy and uh yeah a, a real fan favorite character here gets another great storyline in catching fire So I recommend it. I recommend Catching Fire like I guess I would recommend Return of the Jedi, which is to say that you don't necessarily need to continue on. It doesn't get better by seeing another chapter. And in some ways you could say, oh, they're just doing the same thing over again, only with less passion and maybe more characters. But, uh, you know, it's not so much of a retread that you won't be surprised or entertained by things that happen here. Suzanne Collins has designed a really good world on this page. And I think, even in lesser form, it's fun to revisit it. So I'm still jazzed to c- cover one more book. Next week, Mockingjay, the concluding chapter of the Hunger Games trilogy. Unlike the Hollywood versions, I am not going to break it up into two parts. This will be one podcast to talk about the final book. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I hope you've been reading along with me and not just watching the movies and, and letting that fill in. Again, I want to stress the movies are not the same experience as the book. And uh, if you want to know my thoughts on the movies, uh, you can hear them. You just need to go to our sister show now playing com and be a donor at the silver level. Click the banner at the top of the page. It's a $10 donation. You will get to hear Arnie, Jacob, and I discuss four Hunger Games films plus the two Battle Royale films in great detail with a great passion. I have positive things and negative things to say about the movies and I hope you can hear those as well thank you if you are able to support venganza media with a donation but thank you for listening it's always fun to do these shows keep reading I'll talk with you soon
0: thank you for listening to this episode of books and nachos if you enjoyed this podcast please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on itunes You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.